What's poppin', y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast. I'm your host, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. For all my people on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. For my audio listeners, head over to wherever you get your podcast and leave this podcast a five-star like and review. It is always much appreciated. All my Midwest people, y'all stay bundled up and warm. It's cold as hell outside. Um, when I first started this podcast, I was very curious and I don't want to say worried or nervous, but I was curious to see how much NBA news and how many topic worthy things were going to be available for me to talk about and discuss. All of y'all know I have another podcast numbers on a board where we do two times a week. I do YouTube content around the NBA um, in between those days. And when I started this, I was like, man, I wonder if there's going to be enough topics for me to cover. If there's going to be enough talking points, enough opinions, or am I going to overlap with the same storylines on all of these different podcasts? And I'll tell you this season, I'm so glad is the season I chose to start because not once have I felt that way, whether it's going to do numbers on a board two times a week, whether it's coming here to do my own solo thing, whether it's my YouTube videos in between, whether I'm a guest on somebody else's podcast like Combo or Pick a Side, I have not yet felt like I'm talking and repeating the same headlines or same storylines on any of the podcasts, which is a great feeling. And last night, you know, I got that feeling because I've said it Plenty of times before, the NBA is legitimately the gift that keeps on giving. And I was wrapping up, coming up with all of my talking points and everything that I want to hit hit on um, throughout this episode. And right before I wrapped up, a quote from Kevin Durant landed right into my lap. And it came after last night's game where they had an incredible win. Kevin Durant had 40 points. The first time in his career having 40 points without attempting a single free throw, which is a bit surprising knowing you know, the history of Kevin Durant as a scorer, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest scorer that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And someone who re- reports for the uh, Phoenix Suns, I think his name is Dwayne Rankin or something like that. Big shout out to him. Want to want to be able to credit my, my media people. He asked Kevin Durant, why doesn't he think or believe he is involved in the greatest of all time conversations? And Kevin Durant's response was, because I joined the Golden State Warriors, because that's the answer. That's the question that should be asked. Why am I not a part of these conversations? What haven't I done? And I love the fact that that kind of came back up because I think this is something that has been discussed um, a couple years ago or whatnot. But I feel I feel Kevin Durant in, in a certain way, and I feel for him a little bit because I am a big Kevin Durant fan and. I made it a thing a few years ago to make sure that I didn't take Kevin Durant for granted because I remember throughout my history of being a basketball and an NBA fan, the certain talents that I kind of took for granted. And what I mean by taking for granted is not that I don't know who they are, what they do or how great they are. I know everything about them. I was there when they were winning MVPs and championships, Um, but there's just a different. There's a different feeling when you appreciate something versus fighting against something and rooting against something. So, for example, I grew up a big time Kobe Bryant fan. There's no secret in that. Kobe Bryant and Penny Hardaway are my two favorite players of all time. But boy, do I love me some Kobe. And with that. I rooted for the Lakers. So when I rooted for the Lakers, I rooted against a lot of other people. So a guy like Tim Duncan, I am very aware of the greatness of Tim Duncan. I understand it fully. But I won't lie, as a young kid, seven, eight, nine years old, I wasn't 
diving into Tim Duncan to appreciate him. I was rooting against the Spurs because I looked at the Spurs and Tim Duncan as a threat to get into the way of the Lakers from winning and competing at the highest level for championships. Kevin Garnett. I was there when Kevin Garnett won MVP. I know how good Kevin Garnett is. But he was a guy that was in a Western Conference going against the Lakers. And when they matched up, he is a guy I rooted against. I didn't want to see Kevin Garnett get a championship with Minnesota. The older me now, I probably would have rooted for Kevin Kevin Garnett to get at least one. You know what I mean? I would have appreciated that greatness. When the Lakers matched up against the Detroit Pistons in the 3 finals um, and that team was going against them, I hated that team. But when I got older, I appreciated how good defensively that team was, how much of a team and a unit they were because they didn't have like this top 10 player on their roster. They really beat a juggernaut of Kobe and Shaq, and they did it on the defensive side of the basketball. That's greatness. That's something that you should want to see. But when you're young and you're not all the way you know, into the, the game of, of basketball and you're more player-centric, you can kind of take other players and teams for granted. And I I fell into that hole a couple more times as I got older. Obviously, when LeBron James joined the Miami Heat, I felt like that was just something I didn't want to see. So I rooted against that. I rooted against LeBron for that first year. And as soon as he lost, I felt no satisfaction. It did nothing for me. The feeling that I thought I was going to get and that I thought I was rooting against him would make me feel better. Nothing changed. And I remember being there as like a teenager saying to myself, we're kind of all stupid. We just sat here and rooted against the best player in the NBA because he joined the Heat. And we're like not appreciating his greatness. This dude is one of the best players we've ever seen ever, like ever. He's going out. He's going crazy out there. And we're all trying to convince ourselves that it's better for us to root against him because he chose to go somewhere that we didn't agree with. And even then, it was just like, I, I don't know, I didn't feel any validation seeing him lose. And when he got on the podium and he said that, like, yo, I lost, everybody got what they wanted, but everybody got to go back to their lives. I felt him. You know what I mean? I felt him. I'm like, that's a fact. And that brought me back to the sense of, hey, you know what? I'm not necessarily rooting against LeBron no more. You know what I'm saying? I'm rooting for my team, which was the Knicks. And I'm going to root for us to win. And if my team ain't in it, then hell, LeBron, go crazy. Go for it. Now, I have my favorites and my certain things. So when they matched up against the Pacers, Paul George is my guy. I'm like, man, Paul George, do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. But the days of being like, man, I want to see LeBron lose. I don't care who wins as long as LeBron loses. That was stupid to me. And I got over that phase quickly. Then again, very shortly, it happened when Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors. We all were there rooting against Kevin Durant and the Goliath of the Golden State Warriors. We were rooting for LeBron and Kyrie as the underdogs to overcome this 73-win team who went out and joined one of the greatest players of all time after they beat him in the Western Conference Finals. And I remember for a couple years, same thing. I find myself rooting against Kevin Durant, hoping that they fail. And here I am watching the NBA Finals against the Raptors. And the thing that changed it all for me. Kevin Durant tears his Achilles. And this is a time where Achilles injuries are scary. They're career threatening. Guys get their Achilles torn. And the question is, will they come back half the player? Will this be the end of their career? Will they come back on the court and never be that player that we once loved? Will, he, will Kevin Durant be a shell of himself? 
And that summer after they lost the finals to the Raptors, I remember just watching constantly Kevin Durant highlights. Early rookie of the year ones with the Sonics. Early OKC days. The the warrior ones against their their runs against the Cavaliers and things like that. And I'm just like, man, like, what if this is it? I sat here the last three or so years rooting against this dude. And he may not be the same. This may be it. How foolish of me to to not accept his greatness and to take it for granted because he made a move that I didn't necessarily agree with. And when he went to the Brooklyn Nets and he was coming back for the first time and to see him not be a shell of himself and still be able to play at a high level, I said to myself then, I, who cares? Who cares that Kevin Durant joined the Warriors? You know what I mean? Like I'm going to make it a, a fact to appreciate his greatness and keep this type of mindset with any other player going forward. I cannot allow myself to fall into the hole of being so much of a damn fan of a team that I'm so mad and I'm so against a person because they did some shit I didn't agree with. And I'll say all of that to say since that happened, it kind of gave me an epiphany and kind of gave me clarity on Kevin Durant because he is a special player. This is a guy that was a 2014 MVP. He's a two-time champ, two-times finals MVP, four-time scoring champ, I believe the youngest scoring champ of all time, 10-time All-NBA, probably 11 after this year, 13-time All-Star, probably 14 after this year, 2008 Rookie of the Year, top 75 all-time, and 50-40-90 as a 24-year-old. We'll probably never see that again, by the way. And he's right. What hasn't he done? From an accolade standpoint, from an impact on the game as a 6'9, 6'10, 6'11, however you want to, you know, you want to place him. That mold of a player was not a thing before Kevin Durant. It literally didn't exist. All of those guys were tweeners, and they were guys that the NBA teams have drafted and tried to invest in, but it never worked because they played on the perimeter at 6'9. They didn't have the mobility to keep up with guys on the perimeter as far as defending. They didn't have enough strength and size to defend guys on the interior. And so they got pushed out of the league. There's a bunch of guys we can go back in the history of that kind of resemble Kevin Durant in his game, but they just couldn't stick. The closest guy that I can remember was Jonathan Bender with the Pacers. Um, and he had some injuries, I think some knee problems or whatnot. You also have a guy like Austin Day, who was uh, drafted to the Detroit Pistons out of Gonzaga. He's a guy that I really thought was going to be not Kevin Durant level. But I thought he would have a more longer NBA career. He went over he went overseas and did some great things there. But I really thought he was going to have a much better NBA career um, as a guy who played on a perimeter, kind of thin, um, 6'9", 6'10". It didn't really work out. And because of that was the tweener thing. You know what I mean? And there's a bunch of names that we can go down in history. We, that That's an entire podcast on itself. But now you see teams are willing to take chances on those guys. You see the Brandon Millers. You see the Paul Georges. You know, you see all of these guys coming in after Kevin Durant. Hey, Dragon Bender was like a seven-foot guy that they were trying to play on the perimeter. And that's a lane that Kevin Durant really created. You know, it's like Tracy McGrady and Kevin Durant-ish. T-Mac was, what, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, Durant was that same mold, but just two or three inches taller. And I think it gave the NBA a new look into how they would accept or invest in those players and the fact that it could work. You know, Brandon Ingrams and things like that of the world. So I feel Kevin Durant. I say all that to say I feel him. Because when you look at the accolades, he checks almost all of the boxes. He doesn't have a defensive player of the year 
or anything like that, but he has everything else. The impact is there. Things that you can feel, things that you, you know, they're not tangible. You just have to feel them. You have to be a part of it. It's the culture. He has that. But the last thing that I don't think we talk about enough is the perception of players. And Kevin Durant is right. He's not in those conversations because he did go to the Golden State Warriors. He did join a team that won 73 games and kicked him out of the playoffs. That's what he did. Jordan never did that. Jordan is 6-0, and Jordan did have plenty of help. But Jordan is 6-0 in the finals with the team that drafted him, and he never left that. Besides, of course, at the end with the Wizards. But in his, in his prime, competed for championships. He never ran from that. And LeBron did leave Cleveland. But when LeBron did, was LeBron went out, went out and recruited and just made his own team. Which I think is, is very different than joining the team that be if LeBron went and joined the Celtics after they kicked him out of the playoffs, that would have been the most craziest thing that I would have ever seen. Imagine that. That's that's the thing that I don't understand why people never, you know, talk about that. They try to make it seem like LeBron and Kevin Durant did the same exact things. No, 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 no. There are some similarities because they went and played with other top players. But the difference is LeBron went and started his own team. He didn't join the team that had already went to the finals, that had already just beat him. You know what I mean? That's not what he did. That's But that's legitimately what Kevin Durant did, which is the worst thing in sports. I hate to say it because, again, I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. I've watched him his entire career, second player in high school behind Greg Oden, historical freshman year at Texas, second pick behind Greg Oden to the side. I've seen it all. But that one thing, that one thing of Kevin Durant losing to a 73-win team and then joining them the next summer, a team that was like an enemy to him, that should have been an enemy to him. You know, when you see how the Celtics reacted when Ray Allen went to the Heat, and though the Warriors and the Thunder didn't have a rivalry like that, it just shows you that's the mindset. Guys are looking at you crazy because you join a team that beat you. Even if we go to the gym, if we go to Export, we go to LA Fitness, you never want to go to the team that has you sitting sitting for next. That's just like an unwritten rule where it's just like, no, nah, I don't I want to I want to beat you. Instead of joining you, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna collect the best players from these losing teams and we're gonna come back and we're gonna beat y'all. I'd rather do that than to just join the winning team. And Kevin Durant, he did it at the, the highest level. And I think the perception of him since then has always been tainted. It just is what it is. And perception plays a big part in the GOAT conversation. It, it, it's the reason why when we talk about the GOAT, a lot of the bigs aren't in the conversation. Because I really don't think people enjoy watching bigs as much as they enjoy watching these other guys. Hakeem Olajuwon. We talk about him as a GOAT center. Shaq as a GOAT center. Kareem, GOAT centers. But like GOAT player, if we're being honest, some of these guys should be in the conversation as well. They have the rings. They have the numbers. They have the impact. They have rules written against them. They've dominated the game. But they're never in that conversation in totality because the perception of people, we enjoy watching Michael Jordan more. We enjoy watching LeBron James more. We enjoy watching Kobe Bryant more. We enjoy guards historically more than we enjoy bigs. We can relate to these players or have a bit of a more excitement watching them than we do historically these other guys. And that's just that that's just 
that's just a fact. You know what I mean? That that's just literally a fact. When you talk about people talking about the top ten of all time, they glance over the bigs, man. They glance, and and it's it's not fair. You know what I mean? And it's not fair, but it just is the reality that we live in. They gloss right over the bigs. You know what I'm saying? And it's 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 just a part of it. The re, the re, the perception. The reality is the perception of how we view players is just as important as everything else. You definitely have to have the numbers. You have to have the impact. You have to have the championships and the accolades. You have to have a little bit of everything, but you also have to have this perception from the fans and the media to put you in that conversation. And I just think Kevin Durant doesn't have that perception. He's likable to people like me, but there's also a bunch of people that don't like him because he responds to things on Twitter, which I don't give a, I don't give a damn. I think NBA players should be able to do anything that they want to do. If they want to talk back to fans, they should be able to. I think that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, people look at Kevin Durant as that way. They look at him as he ran off from Russ and left Russ um, left Russ in the dust. Not only did he leave Russ and abandon him, he went on to their, their opposition in Golden State who had just kicked him out of the playoffs. Then the Draymond thing where they argued and cursed him out. People felt like Kevin Durant got his feelings hurt there and left when he should have just stayed and could have just won championships on top of championships. Then he went to Brooklyn, and that didn't necessarily work out, and he felt like he wasn't this leader-type guy to rally everything together, and he ran off from them without doing anything that they felt he should have done. You know, they don't have any championship banners in Brooklyn. They don't have any finals appearances in Brooklyn, and he left that, and he ran to another team to, to team up in Phoenix with Devin Booker and now Bradley Beal. And that's the perception of people. People look at Kevin Durant as a guy who is afraid to really steer his own ship. They look at him as a guy who likes to just ride other people's legacies and things like that. I don't know Kevin Durant personally. I'm just a fan. I'm not saying that that's who he is, but that's just the perception. When I talk to people uh, you know, around around the NBA community as fans or other analysts and things like that, that's 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 the reality. He's a phenomenal player, but he hasn't led his own thing. And whenever he's had the opportunity to lead his own thing, they fall short. You know, when it was him versus LeBron James in the NBA Finals with that young Thunder team, they lost 4-1. And they never could get over that hump to get back to the NBA Finals, though they probably should have. And I... Like the rest of y'all, I throw some of that on Sam Preston because James Harden got traded for literally nothing, um, you know, for the player that he became. Same thing with Brooklyn. You know what I mean? People wanted to see Kevin Durant lead that team with Kyrie Irving. And then the fact that they got James Harden. And obviously, there's a bunch of excuses that you can make up for them there. I felt like the injuries were part of it. They were, you know, a, a big toe step on the line away from overcoming, you know, um, the Bucks and going to the finals where I think they probably would have won that championship against the Phoenix Suns. Um, just unfortunate. And now you're in a, you're in Phoenix and Phoenix has Durant, Booker and Beal. And it is Booker's team. And they ain't really, they cool. Like I said, they're on a five game winning streak. They're seventh out West, but they aren't necessarily dominating the NBA. They don't look like a team. That's like the favorites to win. Am I sleeping on them? Am I, am I counting them out? No, but I definitely I'm not afraid of them like I should be when you talk about those three coming together. And I think that's just the reality it is. And like I said, I feel for Kevin Durant because when you talk about talent for talent and the impact, 
what hasn't he done? If I go around and I ask people who cover the NBA and I, I ask, you know, different analysts, what hasn't Kevin Durant done? They're going to say he hasn't won a championship on his own. That's the only thing you're going to say. They're going to go back to the Warriors championships and say, hey, that was Steph Curry's team. The Brooklyn thing failed as Kevin Durant being the face and the leader of that. The, and then he had to run and join Devin Booker's team or situation out in Phoenix. And even then, we're still waiting to see, but they don't look like they're you know going to do anything crazy. But if you talk about the accolades, you talk about the player, you talk about the talent, you talk about the impact, they're not going to be able to question any of that. They're not. And again, I just go back to the, recept- the, the, the perception of Kevin Durant. And it's unfortunate because this is a guy who has felt like he's always been number two, coming out of high school, number two player in the nation, out of the draft after historical freshman year, number two in the draft, second in MVP and all these different things. So I feel for him. But that's just the reality it is. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's something I think we have to talk about um, in the basketball community. And I think that's why a lot of us felt the way that we felt because it's like, yo, KD, you're going to have the championships, bro. But a lot of us were really hurt and kind of like, damn, why did you do that? Because we knew that this was coming. We knew this was coming. A lot of some people, some people didn't like it simply because they were LeBron James fans and they knew that the Warriors versus Cavs was the next thing that we were going to see for the however many, you know, years. And they knew that them getting KD was going to be a threat to LeBron and the Cavs winning championships. A lot of people had a problem because of that. But a lot of others, like myself, our biggest thing was, yo, KD, y'all are going to win championships, but people will not look at you as the same. You would have much more respect if you took down the Warriors, if you took down Braun, if you had went back to the Thunder and did it, with, did it right with Russ. Or even if you didn't, even if you wanted to leave Russ, if you went to Washington, you know, and represented your Wizards, if you had went to Boston before they became hot, you go, you go somewhere. And you just lead your own ship and you take down Braun and the Warriors. You would have been historic. You would have been the guy. That The way they talked about Kawhi and after 2019 winning the championship with the Raptors, that's how they would have talked about you. Because that was the way for you to win a championship. You were going to have to go through one or two. If you joined the Eastern Conference team after you left the OKC Thunder, you would have had to take down Kyrie and Braun. And then you would have to play the Warriors in the finals. And if you were able to take both of those teams down, oh, my gosh. Just that one ring and that hypothetical would have outweighed everything that you did in Golden State. If you stay with OKC and y'all didn't blow that 3-1 lead, y'all took down a 73-win team. And then y'all went into the finals and beat Bron and Kyrie, you and Russ. Y'all would have went down as one of the greatest duos ever, and that would have been enough right there. Yeah, people would have want to see see y'all win a couple more. It would have been nice to see if y'all could two-peat, three-peat, however. But that one ring would have been so significant, and it would have probably kept you in OKC for the rest of your career. And you would have been one of those guys like Dirk. A bet, a Dirk on steroids. Because you would have had more accolades. You would have had more numbers. You would have been more beloved. And your run would have been more historical to take down a 73-win team and a LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love team in the finals, you are easily in the GOAT conversation. And that's assuming that you only do that once. 
That's not saying that you win two, you win another ring. You know what I mean? That's that's not counting on that. And then after you after you do that, if you want to leave and join Kyrie again in Brooklyn, or you want to team up with somebody else and go over here, I don't think people really would have cared as much because you would have already did your own thing. It wouldn't have mattered that much. You could have you could have took them down, did your shit, and then be like, you know what? I beat the Warriors. I'm gonna go help they ass. I'm gonna go help them. And then you go over there and you win after you already beat them. Oh, then now it's just like, hey, that's Steph Curry. That Steph Curry needed Kevin Durant. It wouldn't be Kevin Durant needed Steph Curry. That perception to me changes the entire dynamic for all players. For all players. I think Steph Curry is a lot more beloved than Kevin Durant because Steph Curry is the engine and a catalyst of everything that goes on in the history and that dynasty of the Golden State Warriors success. It starts with him. And I think that's why ultimately Kevin Durant left. Because it's like, yo, no matter what I do, it's going back to Steph Curry. And, and again, I don't, I'm don't, i not mad at KD for that. I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, Kevin Durant is a guy that should be trying to find his own thing to build. He should have done that. Him going to Brooklyn, I think, was phenomenal. I wish he would have stayed and I wish they could have got, you know, some type of high-level success. Brooklyn's front office kind of didn't know what they were doing and he... he the Steve Nash thing, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best move. They probably should have went out and got a real coach who's used to dealing with certain personalities. I think they went out and got somebody that those players could, like, overpower. But if you go in, you get an established, legendary coach who isn't going to go back and forth. Yo, we're not coaching this team together. As much as I love Kyrie, Kyrie, we're not in a collaboration of coaching this team. You're a player, I'm a coach. But they went out and got somebody that was more of a friend to them. And I think that backfired in them, along with the injuries, along with the unfortunate Kevin Durant foot being on the line. You know what I mean? Like, But I love that. As a Kevin Durant fan, my favorite post-OKC experience is him in Brooklyn. It's actually last year before he got traded. When Kyrie was hurt. And he was out there by himself with those young guys, empowering Claxton, empowering Cam Thomas, giving Yuta Watanabe some confidence and some swagger. We're out there with Edmund Sumner, and they was doing a thing. I remember vividly the game against the Mavericks, where he was talking shit to the Mavericks and Theo Pinson. Like, man, y'all sending, y'all sending three people on me, four people on me. What you talking about? Like, I love that to see Kevin Durant out there with a bunch of young guys, and he really is is locking up. He's talking on defense. He's empowering them. He's you know, giving them confidence. We was watching it in real time. And I know that's not necessarily the point of his career where he wanted to be. He obviously wants to compete for championships, obviously. That's why he went to Phoenix. But still, for me as a fan of Kevin Durant, that was just something that was refreshing because all we had seen was him being with star players and kind of, you know, being in that that light. So um, to Katie, you're not in the conversation of GOATs. Right. As far as like the legitimate goat, not when he said goats, but like the legitimate conversation of the greatest of all time, that one guy, that singular guy. Unfortunately, you're not in that conversation. Right. But I do think you're in the conversation of one of the greatest players of all time. You're not the singular one, but you're in that top 10. You're in that most influential when we talk about scoring in the NBA, without a doubt, top five, dead or alive, easily. Um, 
influential, probably top five there. Because, I mean, when you talk about the unit, Kevin Durant is the first unicorn. I know he gave the name to Przingis or whatnot. But when you look at the history, Przingis um, is one thing. But Kevin Durant is just like, he's literally what we used to try to create on video games, man. And he made that unrealistic player that you had to create. He He brought it to life. And the NBA is viewed differently. That that mode of player is now accepted like it's nothing. I I am a 90s baby. I was there when that mode of player was like, what what are you doing? You're 6'9, get inside, get in the interior. You're power forward. You're not playing on the perimeter. You're not dribbling. You're not bringing the ball up. You're not getting the isolation. I'm from that era. So when I when we saw Kevin Durant doing it, it was kind of like, what the what is this? What is this? Kevin Durant had doubters too. You know, Kevin Durant, that was so such a new unseen thing that he didn't have a long line of believers that was like, man, it's going to work. It was like, man, he's too skinny. Is this going to work? In the NBA, they're not going to go for it. Like, I was, I was there for it. I remember. And that's why I kind of feel for him. Like, damn, KD, you're right, man. What haven't you done? Even the Olympic shit, what haven't you done? But it, it's, it's the Warriors thing, man. He is correct. It is the Warriors thing. Um, I didn't mean to go too long on that, but again, I love Kevin Durant a lot, and I just I hate the fact that he has to sit there and ask that self ask that question because it's probably something that's been on his mind. That's not that's obviously and clearly not the first time Kevin Durant has come across that um, or thought about that. It's just the first time publicly where he's kind of voiced it, and that lets me know that that has been something that he's thought about. And again. That's something that a lot of us were afraid of and kind of saw coming as soon as he joined. As soon as he joined, it's like, man, anything you do now, they're going to say it's because you joined a 73-win team and you're teaming up to help Steph Curry and his legacy. Steph Curry wins those rings, and now we talk about him at a higher elevated level. We talk about Steph Curry higher than we do Kevin Durant. And I think player for player, I'm going with Kevin Durant. Legacy for legacy, I'm going Steph Curry. Player for player, talent for talent, I'm going Kevin Durant. Unfuckwittable. Literally unfuckwittable. I don't, I don't care what anybody has to say. I, I agree to, dis- to, to disagree. But Kevin Durant, when you talk about talent for talent in the game of basketball, is not many that can match up with him. Legacy for legacy, a lot of guys are going to trump him. But I feel like he and his work in Golden State helped propel Steph more than they helped propel him. And the unfortunate truth is the opposite of propel is what it did to Kevin Durant. Steph Curry went this way. Durant went this way. But they both were winning. But that's just the perception of the NBA fans and media. And that's the reality that we live in. Um, Switching gears from Kevin Durant. His former team. I've talked about them plenty of times. I even did a video where I was saying my top five teams that should blow it up. And my surprise team was the Brooklyn Nets. And a lot of people gave pushback to it. I understand the pushback. The pushback was, but P, they don't own their first round pick. It goes to the Rockets because of the James Harden trade. So they really shouldn't try to tank. And I, again, I, I understand it. And that's why when coming into the year, I wasn't saying that. It was after the year started. So here's my thing. The Brooklyn Nets, over the last 12 games, they've, they've lost 10 of their last 12. Yesterday, Sunday, they played against the Clippers. They blew an 18-point lead. The Clippers ended that game on a 22-0 run. 
The Clippers had 114. I mean, the Nets had 114 for the last five minutes of the game. The last five minutes, they ended the game on a 22-0 run. That means the Nets didn't get an accidental free throw. They didn't make a lucky-ass shot at the end of a shot clock. You know, a 22-0 run. A 22-0 run. This team is not in the play-in, if I'm not mistaken. They're out outside of the play-in. Um, they're behind the Atlanta Hawks. They're behind the Chicago Bulls. They are just not it right now. They're, they're not high, and I'm going I'm to I'm look up exactly where they are um, just so we can be on the team. Yes, the Nets are 11th in the Eastern Conference. They're a game behind the Hawks. And they are three games behind the Bulls. They are three games behind the Bulls. They are behind two teams who have made us shake our heads. They're behind a team who is looking to shake up their roster completely. The Hawks, everybody's in trade rumors outside of Jalen Johnson and Trey Young. Bogdanovich has been in trade rumors. DeJounte Murray is the hottest name on the market right now. DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, like... Sadiq Bey, everybody on the, the Hawks are trying to make crazy moves. They're trying to literally reshape the entire roster. And you're behind that team. The Bulls, Zach Levine has been rumored. DeMar DeRozan has been rumored. Vucevic has been rumored. They are a team that feels like they should be blowing some things up. You're behind that team. You're only really a game and a half above the Raptors. Who are 16 and 27, and they're three and seven in their last 10, who just traded their two last guys a part of their championship run. Pascal and OG, they kind of sh- folded their hands and said, hey, we're just gonna rechange the gears of this team, head into the Scotty Barnes era. We're gonna put together the core, build up draft assets, and just retool in the in, in the offseason. We'll play this season out, do what we can do, but we're gonna reshape it and just and just accept the fate. And you're only a game above them. So my argument to all of those people is, bro, even with Mikael Bridges, even with not blowing this team up, you're giving the, the, the Rockets a lottery pick. <laughs> the thing that you're trying to avoid or your reason of not making moves is still happening with them. So it makes no sense to me. You don't want to give the Rockets a lottery pick because you don't own it. But you're still giving them that by not trading them. And I heard Brian Wernhorst say a few days ago, people around the league are saying the Nets might be a buyer. A what? So they're thinking about using the little bit of assets they do have from the Kevin Durant trade. To go get DeJounte Murray? What is he going to do with this Nets team? Let me know one person around the NBA, whether it's a media person, somebody who actually works in the NBA, a former exec, even a fan that knows basketball. Y'all let me know if the Nets go get DeJounte Murray, where that puts them in the Eastern Conference. That probably puts them above the Bulls. And I love DeJounte. But that doesn't put them nowhere near the Celtics, nowhere near the Sixers, nowhere near the Bucks, nowhere near the Knicks, nowhere near the Cavs. I don't even think that team can rock with the Pacers. 
the magic. They might they might can rock with the magic just because the magic are young. But another year and a half, the magic are 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 out doing that team. <laughs> if if the if they could even compete with the magic this year. I, that's another backwards move. I don't I really don't know what Sean Marks is doing in Brooklyn. Um, I, I have no idea. I'm not the person that comes up here telling people that they need to be fired. I don't call for people jobs, anything like that. But damn. What is Sean Marks in the Brooklyn Nets really doing? Yo, you guys lost Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving. It didn't work. Yeah, I understand how embarrassing that could be. You don't want to be the team that had all three of those guys and you had literally nothing to show for it. And you had to trade all of them. You traded all of them. It's one thing if guys start leaving and walking and free agency and things like that. You had to trade all of them. I get it. You're hungry now to be able to quickly get rid of, you know, you quickly want to shed that off and make people forget about it. The idea of Mikhail being able to step into this new stardom with his quote unquote own team, it was intriguing. But the reality has hit us upside our head in real time. Mikhail Bridges is a 27 year old high quality role player that is the missing piece for these contending teams that is probably out there willing to give you four future first round picks plus whatever young talent that they have. I'm telling you right now, the Knicks would give you anything you want from Mikael Bridges. Before OG, the Knicks would have gave you every damn thing. The 76ers would give you everything from Mikael Bridges. There are some teams that ain't even in a playoff race or the playoff hunt of contention that would give you anything from Mikael Bridges because he's that good of a missing piece. The Cavaliers are probably, man, the Cavaliers were probably, man, they would probably look to give you some real good shit. The way the Cavaliers playing, I hate to put this out in the air. You, you probably could get Darius Garland. Just keeping it all the way a buck. The way they playing with just Donovan Mitchell and no Garland or Evan Mobley, you're not getting Evan Mobley. They'll probably give you Darius Garland and as much of the draft capital that they got left after acquiring Donovan Mitchell. The Pacers would have gave you whatever you wanted before Pascal. The Hawks, the Hawks will give you whatever whatever you want, and they not they tenth, but they know a Trey Young and and Mikael Bridges is probably a lot more better than Trey Young and Dejounte. Looking out west, the Thunder. I don't even want to know what the Thunder will give you. All the draft capital the Thunder have and the young talent. Dog, the Thunder would probably give the Nets everything that they need to to re to reboot themselves up. The Pelicans, with all the talent that they have, could you probably could you swing and get Trey Murphy? Could you do that? That would be interesting. Could you get a Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy the third, and something else package for Mikael? Because time is ticking out there in in, in New Orleans. The Kings, what would the Kings give you? I'm just saying it's a a lot, though, you know, I I don't know. I just look at this team and I say the reality is here. The fact is, you're not really a playoff team. And when all of these other teams are kicking into gear, ready to be 
real buyers at the deadline ready to make real moves and the East has continued to, to, to take those steps, you continue to do this way. Once these teams start locking in and everybody cemented themselves, y'all are dropping. Y'all aren't kicking up the gas and taking it up. Y'all are dropping. And y'all are looking like a team that's legitimately not a playoff team. So if you're not a playoff team with Mikhail, then you should probably do the smart thing and trade them and get three to four first-round picks and some young talent to recoup all of the picks you had to give away to acquire all of those guys who are no longer there. I would just bite the bullet. And I would have a fire sale. Once you trade Mikael Bridges, everybody's on the table, man. Everybody. Hey, can I get a first-round pick for Dorian Finney-Smith? Because he's a, a name that a contender team would want. Anybody got a, a first-round pick? Even if it's a late first-round, we want it. Cam uh, Cam Johnson, another guy who fits that mold of what all teams want, a complimentary guy with jumbo size who can knock down shots. We signed him to a $100 million deal, but now he's available. Hell, I might even think about moving Nick Claxton, depending on what his market is. Because the year he's having now, compared to last year, mm-mm, it's not the same. And maybe you say, hey, maybe you want to give it another try and keep him. I, I, I completely, I'm with that. But I just feel like nobody on the Nets should not be in talks right now. Because every, the, the thing about the Nets is this, and I've said it before. The Nets have the perfect team if they had draft capital to make a star, to make a star move. If the Nets were the team that had all of their draft capital and somehow they got Mikael Bridges um, and a KD swap and they still had a bunch of draft capital and they were able to use that capital to go get a real star, if they were a team that had enough to go get a Damian Lillard, if they say, hey, Portland, we'll give you three future first round picks, we'll give you Cam Thomas, we'll give you, you know, whatever. And you brought Dame to this team, Dame, Mikael, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Nick Claxton. Sounds like the greatest team Dame has ever played with. Seriously. If they had draft capital and, and, and they could be a team for Donovan Mitchell, that would Donovan Mitchell with all of that around him? Who else? I, I forget all of the other names. But, the, you know, all of those names that hit the market on a star level, they, they have the perfect team for a star. They have all of the complimentary players in the world that would let a star come in and do his shit, and they could just do all of the other things. McKellar's a number two. Claxton behind you. Finney Smith. Cam Johnson. Like, I like this team with a star, but they don't have the assets to get a star. They use all those assets to get three stars who are now gone. Brooklyn, the time is now. Teams will give you everything you need to rebuild that asset pool that is non-existent anymore. And that's just what that is. Um, Trey Young is in concussion protocol. The reason I'm bringing that up is because, again, that might be a help for the Nets. Maybe Trey Young missing some some time here will have the Hawks take a skid. Maybe not because DeJounte plays really well when there's no Trey Young because he gets to control the shit. We've seen two back-to-back game winners. Um, and I know the Hawks are loving it because it's making his trade value go up even more. Um, so maybe maybe they continue to keep rolling. Uh, but yeah, that's that's just something that maybe the Nets are looking up, looking at and, and saying, hey, we should buy more. Trey Young is out, y'all. This is our time to make a run for the 10th seed. I, I, I don't know. Um but like I mentioned before, the Eastern Conference is heating up. 
You got the 76ers on a five-game win streak. The Cavaliers on a seven-game win streak. The Knicks on a three-game winning streak. They're 9-2 and two in their last 11 since the OG on an OB trade. Like, just on fire. The East is really turning it up. When you go look at the Western Conference, they have teams that's doing anything. It's not like this. Five-game win streak, seven-game win streak, three-game win streak. The East, the East is getting there. And the top teams are starting to separate. And that middle pack is trying to keep up. You have the Knicks and the Cavs looking like they're going to be fighting for that fourth spot and home court advantage. And then you have these other teams that's just trying to stay afloat above that play-in territory, like the Pacers. You know what I mean? Like the Magic. They're just trying to make sure that they don't that they can play out of that. We'll see as time goes on because there's still um, a lot of basketball left. Speaking of the Pacers, 0-2 after the Pascal Siakam trade, obviously last night um, they didn't they didn't have um, Tyrese Halliburton against the, the Suns and Kevin Durant did his thing. Um, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. I made a video about this trade when it happened. I am a fan of the trade for both sides. Obviously, the, the Pacers are in a position to – be favorable because it's more instant for them. They're a playoff team. They're going to have the more instant success. And I think for the Pacers, they don't value those draft picks because they understand where they are. They are in a place where they're going to be competing. They're accelerating this rebuild and they were able to keep Jairus Walker and a lot of their depth. So I think for them, they look like clear cut winners because they kept something that they valued and they gave away things that they didn't value. They obviously didn't value Bruce Brown enough to stop them from making this trade. And they didn't value those three first round picks, which is why they quickly gave them up instead of giving up Jairus Walker and any added additional depth. And for Toronto, though they seems like they get the smaller end of the stick, I think long term wise, this helps them a lot. To be able to get three first round picks for a guy who is on the last year of his deal. And it's probably not coming back. I think it's a win. I know Raptor fans would have much more preferred more or something else. But in the reality of the situation, that's not a bad get. The reality is you could have had more if you traded him years before. But Raptor fans, I was around covering the NBA during those times. Y'all necessarily weren't big on that. Y'all didn't really want to see. There was a time where y'all wasn't pushing for OG and Pascal to be traded. I'm not speaking. For, I'm not saying every Raptor fan is the same. Some of y'all probably were and seeing the writing on the wall, but some of y'all were kind of trying y'all best to see Pascal potentially stay. Same with Freddie V and OG. And you know when Freddie was having a tough year shooting at different things like that, and y'all was calling him selfish. Then y'all wanted to see him be gone, but he walked away for free. And the OG trade, I think, got y'all back core pieces to put next to Scotty Barnes. And then the Pascal thing gave y'all draft capital. I think y'all did pretty solid for trading two guys who were part of your championship core um on the last year of their deals. I think you did fine. I think you did I did I think you did solid. Again, in reality, could you have gotten more a year ago, a year and a half ago? For sure. For sure. But that's not where we're at. You know what I mean? Y'all, y'all were in a spot where y'all didn't do that. And so this for the reality, I think it wasn't it ain't, it ain't too bad. The things that I've seen in the first two games with Pascal, he's fouling a lot. He's fouling a lot. He fouled out in 30 minutes against the Suns. He almost fouled out in the debut against the Portland Trailblazers in 34 minutes. He had five fouls. Um, I love the fit. I think he's a guy that off top, we're seeing that they don't have to call plays for him. That's just the player he is. He can go out and create, but I just love the idea of all of the space he's gonna have. The, the pace that they play with with Tyrese Halliburton 
and to be able to have a guy like Miles Turner to space that floor for him when he gets at the mid mid elbow, he can operate with so much space that I don't think he's used to it. I don't think Pascal has ever played with this much space before in his career. So um, I think we got to give it some time. And after all-star break, you know, when they're able to inhale, exhale, get some rest, get Tyrese Halliburton fully healthy, I think we want to see this team string off four or five straight wins. I definitely do in the second half of the season anticipate them going on some type of run um, because the fit is just seamless. The fit is really, really seamless. And they potentially could be a scary team when it comes playoff time. Um, if we're just being honest, depending on the matchups and things like that, am I saying they're a contender? Not yet. They still may have a piece, um, to go out and get. And because they kept a lot of their depth, they could. What I'm thinking about for the Pacers is the other guys, right? And what I mean about that is, is this year going to make them feel the need to accelerate even more, Right? Cause they go out in the offseason and be like, oh, we we at we that we got Pascal, we got Halliburton, we got Turner. Could we go out and explore with Benedict Matherin and Jairus Walker? Would get a, could that get us a third star? Could that really get us a third star? Could we go out and get a third? You know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if they're gonna ever take that approach. I, I'm I'm really curious as to that. Cause even if they did that. You know, depending on how what, what happens with Buddy Hill, you can bring him back. You still have Nimhard, Toppin, Jalen Smith. The depth won't be a question. But they still do have some pieces where if they felt a certain way after this postseason, they could jump out and say, Hey, let's 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 really let's really take that next step to potentially be a top Eastern team. You know what I mean? A top Eastern Conference team. You know, what if what hypothetically, what if something happened with Donovan Mitchell in the Cavs? And they like, hey, we got Benedict Matherin, we got Jairus Walker, we got some picks down the line. What if they hit up Brooklyn? Brooklyn makes makes bridges available. Now, granted, they won't have the same draft capital because they all they just sent it all to Pascal. But damn, Jairus Walker, Benedict Matherin, some extra stuff. I don't know. I'm just putting some shit out. That that's where my mind is going. What is going to, are they ever going to get to the point where they're like, man, we could go out and make an, an, another move and we can really be like elite elite. That's just the thinking I'm thinking for the next phase of the Pacers, which we'll get to. Um, to wrap up, I want to get to the trade rumor hot stove. A lot of things are heating up here. And like I mentioned in the intro, I love this time. Obviously, we all love the player movement. Uh, we've had two nice big trades that involve the Raptors. Shout out to the Raptors for helping us down with that. Uh, we had the Wizards and Pistons make a little miniature move. Marvin Bagley has been playing well. So hopefully it looks like we're going to have um, another two weeks of some monstrous stuff happen. The first thing is the Lakers. The Lakers are looking to be busy, which I like because they need some help. Obviously, they've been linked to DeJounte Murray. The Hawks and the Lakers right now are at a point where they are looking to find a third team because if the trade happened, D'Angelo Russell will be included in it, but it's being reported that the Hawks don't have much interest in DeJounte Murray. I mean, in D'Angelo Russell in his contract because he does have a player option that would allow him to come back for around 18 and a half to 19 million dollars. They would much more rather reroute him to a third team and get back an expiring deal to allow them to have flexibility during the offseason to retool this team properly around Trey Young. So that's going to be interesting. I don't know what third team off the top of my mind. We'll be looking at D'Angelo Russell with intrigue. 
would it be the Wizards? I, I, I don't, you know, like he came from the Timberwolves already. OKC doesn't have a need. The Nuggets don't have a need. When I'm looking around the league, I, I don't, you know, the Pelicans, the, the, do the Pelicans want D'Angelo Russell? Obviously, the Suns would love him, but what, what money matches there? Nobody's going to take Nurkic, you know? He has a three-year deal that I know the Kings, I mean, I, the Hawks or the, the Lakers don't want. I, I just don't know what team out there is looking for a D'Angelo Russell, unless it's a bottom-feeding team. And at that point, the, the Spurs, do you take D'Angelo Russell knowing you potentially could have a top pick in this upcoming draft to go, get your point guard of the future? If you're if you're pop, do you say let's just get him anyway, and he can be a mentor to that young guy? I I, I don't know. Um, even when I look out east, the Celtics are good. The Bucks don't have room. The Sixers I don't think would do it. The Cavs are good. My Knicks don't want D'Angelo Russell. Do the Heat want him? But then again, what expiring deal are they giving up that the Hawks will feel comfortable with? Do the Magic want D'Angelo Russell? The expiring deal there would probably be like a Gary Harris type player. Um, I, I'm just not sure. Do the Raptors want him? Him and quickly, I don't think so. Who knows? That'll be an interesting thing. Does D'Lo go back to the Nets? Because they need a point guard and you just accept Spencer Dinwiddie as an expiring deal? Um, Who knows? But that's the holdup out there with the D'Angelo thing. The Lakers are also rumored to be looking at Tyus Jones, Terry Rozier, um, Bruce Brown. And I like those names more. I'll be honest with you. I think the DeJounte thing could work. But I'm also a fan of the Lakers not necessarily star chasing and trying to get the biggest name on the market and getting a couple of guys. I think that's the route. There's not one player on the market that I think solves all of the questions and the holes that the Lakers have. You know, as much as I like DeJounte there, it would be so much for him to come in and fix the defense and add the scoring and fit next to LeBron and Anthony Davis perfectly. He could. But I think there's so many holes that the Lakers need that I like the idea of maybe going and getting the Tyus Jones. Then in another deal, you go and you get a Bruce Brown. You know, maybe getting two starters instead of trying to stockpile everything into getting one. Because Tyus Jones will give you steady gameplay at the point guard position. And Bruce Brown will be able to be this piece that could just do a lot of different things. He could spot up and play off of guys. He could defend a bunch of different um, positions. He can help rebound. He can get out in transition. Bruce Brown is that go-go gadget guy that you can plug in and have do a bunch of things. In turn, for DeJounte, you're kind of putting everything into getting him. And that would have to work because his contract is long-term. So that's the only thing about the DeJounte thing to the Lakers. I get it. I like it. But it's like you're putting everything in that basket because if it doesn't work, then sheesh, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm looking at the Lakers to, to try to figure out what direction they really want to do. They've been so historically known to player pursuit based on the name, it seems like, and the status of that player. So I would expect them to go all in for DeJounte, clutch client, of course. Um, but I definitely I definitely kind of prefer getting two quality starters to add to this team. Um, the Knicks, my Knicks, my Knicks are looking at bench depth. They're looking at some of the same names as the Lakers. Jordan Clarkson, they've been rumored to be looking at. Alec Burks, again, a former Nick. You have um, Terry Rozier, Malcolm Brogdon, also looking at DeJounte Murray. It's been rumored that the DeJounte Murray move for the Knicks may be too expensive. And so they may go into, like how I'm saying about the Lakers, may go into a different direction where you'd look at something a lot cheaper, like a Brogdon, like a Clarkson, 
like a Rozier. I'm actually a big, big fan of the Rozier thing. I love Malcolm Brogdon as well. But the Rozier thing is intriguing. The Rozier thing is intriguing. Uh, Bruce Brown was making some comments about... (laughs) It's almost as if Bruce Brown was pitching himself to the Knicks. He was talking just how much he loves Tibbs and how he would fit and be able to do everything that he asked. And he's the type of player that Tibbs love. He's a dog and all. It just felt like he was pitching himself to the Knicks and how he loves New York because of the time he spent there when he was playing for Brooklyn. Um, That was kind of interesting and intriguing. I'm not used to seeing that player kind of pitch himself to a team. Maybe he would speak on how valuable he can be on the market, but to correlate yourself to one specific team was kind of interesting and something new for me. I'm just not used to that, like I said. Uh, The one thing I would say about Bruce Brown for me as a Knicks fan, he's kind of similar to Josh Hart. There's definitely some differences there. They definitely are two different players who do some things better than the other does in certain areas, but they kind of overlap each other in my mind. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they make that move and they convince me otherwise. But I just feel like Dante DiVincenzo, Bruce Brown, and Josh Hart are kind of, I don't know. Bruce Brown is like Dante and Hart in one. He's kind of like if they had a baby, it would be him. A guy who could shoot a little better than Josh Hart, but he plays bigger than Dante DiVincenzo, even though he's around his size. I I don't know. He's just kind of like a blend of them. And it's like, do we need another mold of that? Or would we much rather get a Terry Rozier who could start, come off the bench, get 20-plus points in the game, get hot in the playoffs and be the difference maker? You know, he would replace some of the stuff that we lost with Emmanuel quickly. And that's why I'm kind of intrigued with... Rogier and I definitely don't think that the Hornets should be asking for too much of a high price because he has three years left on that deal. He doesn't fit the timeline. And once they get rid of Gordon Hayward after this year, because he's going to be a free agent and they figure out what they want to do with Miles Bridges, they they should be cutting cutting everything clear. And it should be like LaMelo, Miles Bridges if you bring him back, Brandon Miller, and Mark Williams. Everything else should be like question marked and we'll see what we want to do. And hopefully they strike another good lottery pick to kind of put that core together of Melo, Brandon Miller, and whoever they get in this year's draft. We'll see. But I'm 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 interested in Rozier as a Nick fan. I think he's him and Bro- Brogdon and him is like one A one B because Brogdon is such a seamless fit. The only hesitancy that I have with Brogdon is the injury history. The injury history and the availability with Brogdon is always something that you have to consider. But it's just on the floor the fact that he can defend. He makes minimal mistakes. He plays with the ball, without the ball. He's a winner. He knows how to win. He's won before. Obviously not a championship, but he was around with those Bucks teams that was getting close to that point. I like Brogdon a lot. So I think my top guys will be Brogdon Rogier. Then I think I'm going Burks. Clarkson I like. I'm a big Clarkson fan. I just don't know if I can see him fitting it with Tom Thibodeau likes to do. And uh, DeJounte, if it's not too expensive, I'm into that. But if they're saying it's going to be too expensive, pump the brakes because I don't know if DeJounte is the move that catapults us into contention. Um, The Mavericks. Mavericks are showing interest in Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma is on the market. Um, The Wizards are looking for two first-round picks. I hope that the Dallas Mavericks can pull this off. All of y'all who have been watching this podcast, y'all know I've been saying that for a very long time. 
get Kyle Kuzma to the Mavericks. He fits, he fits, he fits. This reminds me of the year that the Mavericks went out and got Antoine Jameson, and he won six men in a year for them. Kuzma reminds me of him, and I think he could play the same type of way with this Mavericks team, except he would probably be a starter. And I like this. I think this is a seamless fit. I think he can play off of Luka. I think he can play off of Kyrie. I think he can also be the guy that can be out there when they're both on a bench or one of them is on a bench and he can get his. He is a guy that I think fits this perfectly. And he is the prototypical move that the Mavericks should be making. He shouldn't be too pricey because the Wizards, they should be in a whole different type of direction. Um, And I think he makes them a little bit more legit. Just a little bit more legit. So go and cough up those two first round picks and whatever money you need to give up to make that to match Maxi Kleber, whatever. I, I don't know. Whatever you need to do, make that happen. And I think you'll be a lot better and more of a serious team to really be a threat in the Western Conference. The Mavericks have surprised me. They have. I give them credit. They've played a lot better than I projected them to. I knew they were going to be good, but they are legit. They was even winning games without Luka. So I like that. Adding Kuzma, I think, only builds upon that. And, um, Hopefully, they are find a way to get it done. This does feel like a deal that could be rumored, and then a trade deadline passed and doesn't happen, and then we all disappointed like, man, what, what, what happened? Why didn't y'all make that happen? So, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Mark Cuban did go on the radio and say that they are looking for front court help, guys that can create their own shots and things like that, who are around 6'8". It sounds exactly like Kyle Kuzma. So, hopefully, that was him giving a, a slight sneak peek into what's to come. Um Raptors won a first round picking a young player for Bruce Brown. Like I said, Bruce Brown was talking about himself with the Knicks as if he was making a pitch for himself. I just don't know if the, the the Knicks feel the same way. And that's that's the other part with the Bruce Brown thing coming to New York. First round picking a young player. What is that? A first round pick in Quentin Grimes? I think we'll pass Harley on that. I think there's something much more better out there on the market that we could get. Um, Quentin Grimes is on the market. A lot of teams are interested. Um, the Hawks are one of them. I don't know if that's a part of a DeJounte trade. Who knows? Um, but that that's that's everything that I'm hearing and I'm seeing on a trade rumor. Um, hot stove. Obviously, like I said before, I did see the fact that the Nets were potentially buyers on the market and that they had interest in DeJounte. That sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. The only assets that you have left is the Sun stuff from the Kevin Durant trade and the fact that you would be willing to part ways with that to go get DeJounte. That would probably only make you a five more win team better. Only makes you five wins better. So instead of being 11th, you would be the 10th seed or the 9th seed. And you would probably get put out in the play-in. Or if you did get in, you would probably get swept by the Bucks or the Celtics. And you now have no future. And Mikael Bridges will only have a couple years left on that deal. And he's going to chuck up the deuce. And then you'll be sitting there with nothing and no draft capital. <laughs> so um, that's it for me, man. That's another great episode of the Heliocentric Podcast. Hope y'all had a a great listening experience and a great watching experience as always i will see you guys next monday i will say over the next weeks we're going to put something together because the trade deadline we might have to do a trade deadline special the trade deadline is going to fall in the next two weeks on a thursday february 8th will be on a thursday so we might have to hold we're either going to hold off on a monday episode that week and just wait for thursday but if trades are happening before then and we get more movement and obviously we'll do it on a monday but yeah we'll we'll talk as we get closer and closer but that's just something to keep in mind um y'all let me know y'all opinions on everything that was talked about here 
next episode we may do a mailbag one may have y'all submit some questions and we can do it like that y'all let me know what y'all want as always i am pierre Pee Wee the plug andreessen this is another episode of the heliocentric podcast i'll see you guys next time i'm out peace